0: To take your hands off the wheel and your eyes off the road. I guess, like me, you often find yourself awake in bed, wondering what the world would be like today if Adolf Hitler, instead of answering the call to be the saviour of Germany, The job he ended up doing really badly, had decided to follow his natural bent for comedy and had instead become a stand-up comedian. In this Danger Zone program, I'm going to look at the jokes that Hitler told and the jokes that Hitler was told that had him holding his sides, convulsing with laughter and struggling not to pee himself. A few years ago, Russell Brand won the Oracle Award at G-Q. He made some relevant observations on the Nazi Party. Here they are. Any of you uh, that know a little bit about history and fashion will know that Hugo Boss made the uniforms for the Nazis. Like, and the Nazis did have flaws, but, you know, they did look fucking fantastic, let's face it. So, as you hear, Nazis weren't all bad. Billy Connolly, in one of his stand-up comedy routines, tells a great truth. He says to his audience, "'Tonight you'll listen to a series of my jokes. You'll laugh yourselves silly. Tomorrow, when you meet your friends, you'll tell them that you came here to see me last night. You'll tell them how brilliant I was and how hard you laughed. And then they'll ask you, "'What were some of the jokes?' And you'll stand there looking puzzled. And then you'll say, I can't remember any of them. And jokes are like that, aren't they? Often you'll get a laugh from them, but before you know, you can't remember them. They're totally gone from your memory. And that's what makes this program so amazing. The people here remembered the jokes that Hitler told them. Not the next day, but decades later. And that is amazing. They went through all of the traumas that Hitler went through as the war turned against him, and all the horrors that entailed. But somehow, they've kept that one joke. The people who were in Hitler's inner circle often mentioned his sense of humour and his many theatrical talents. I guess that should come as no surprise. His addresses at the Nuremberg mass rallies were always carefully choreographed for maximum theatrical effect. Up to one and a half million people were in attendance. There would be a march past the balcony of the Deutsche Hof Hotel, where Hitler stood saluting the brown shirts, the SA, as they took hours to pass by the window. His arm never trembled, never quivered throughout the whole pass-by. And that was a staggering feat. He always tried to look into the eyes of the men marching past. Trudel Jung said that she often heard the men saying, he looked into my eyes. Trudel Jung was Hitler's senior secretary she was impressed at how he could have had the physical endurance to stand there and hold a perfectly rigid, unmoving, Nazi salute hour after hour. One day over a morning tea, Hitler told her that he had bought a chest expander and practiced with it every day. On another occasion, Hitler showed Albert Speer, his architect, later his brilliant armaments minister, an ad in a magazine called Jugend. It promised to develop your biceps. And that was the device he used to train with. But Hitler explained it needed also enormous willpower. And Hitler certainly had enormous willpower. When he was young, Hitler had wanted to be an artist. So there was something in him of the entertainer. But he'd been rejected by the Vienna Academy of Fine Arts twice, which eventually led to him answering the call of destiny to save Germany. It would have been better for all of us if the Academy had admitted him. What would that have cost them? In his early years as leader of the Nazi Party, before he came to power, he commented to Traudel Jung how important a sense of humour was. He said that his experiences in the trenches, and he fought in the First World War and won the Iron Cross, and how important it was in the early years of the struggle too for the Nazi Party to rise to power. A sense of humour had been important. Hitler loved driving, well... To be more precise, he loved being driven. It seems that one of his chauffeurs had taught him to drive, but he may never have gotten a driver's licence. Even if he had, he always preferred to have a professional driver in control of the car he was travelling in. When I was a kid, we used to play travelling games while my family drove to wherever it was that we were going for our holidays. One of those games was on cards that you used to get if you went to a BP service station for your petrol. The game was called Spotto. Obviously that type of game has been around since the time of the automobile. Who knows, maybe before then. One of the favourite car games that Hitler liked to play was called Beaver. And no, it's not what you're thinking. If you spotted a man with a full beard during the trip, the first person to call out Beaver got a point. Hitler was also a great mimic. Max Amann was the official Nazi publisher. He ended up owning a lot of the print media in Germany and other printing businesses. He was a Bavarian and a very fast talker. Hitler had nailed his look and style when he mimicked him. He could also do a great impersonation of the King of Italy, Victor Emmanuel. Hitler was able to laugh at himself, at least in the early days. Soon after Baldur von Schirach was appointed the head of the Nazi Students Association in 1928, he told of an experience out dining with Hitler. Hitler had developed a great fondness for Viennese pastries with fresh whipped cream. Couldn't get enough of them. So when von Schirach sat down to have a meal with Hitler for the first time, he couldn't believe how many lumps of sugar Hitler was putting in his cup of tea. It didn't seem that there was any room left for the tea. Hitler then slurped the tea down noisily. Then he scoffed three or four pieces of cream pie. As he was tucking in, Hitler happened to catch the stunned look on Chirac's face at the quantity of pastries he was demolishing. Hitler looked down at his stomach and smiled. Mischievously, he said, shouldn't be eating so much. I'm getting fat. But I've got a sweet tooth. He then ordered another slice of pie. In fact, Hitler watched his weight closely. When he needed to, his iron will kicked in, and he would diet strictly to make sure that he never carried excess kilos. He always fitted into his clothes. Hitler had problems with some of the temporary secretaries that he used. Trudel Jung tells the story of him dictating something to one of those temporary secretaries when he was visiting a local Gauleiter, a local Nazi party leader. The girl was blushing furiously. She couldn't concentrate on what he was dictating. When Hitler realised, he'd pause as if there was something else he had to do, and that gave the girl a chance to compose herself being in the presence of the Führer was something special, and catch up. Trudel Jung thought that that was very thoughtful of him. She said he wasn't an easy man to work for, but he did this on many occasions when he was dictating to someone new. She remembered one time in her book, He Was My Boss, a perfect name for a long-time secretary to call her book, I think, like this. Hitler. Shall I demonstrate my own typing skills, he joked to one of those temporary secretaries. Do it more or less like this. And then he would pretend he was seated at a machine ready to type. He would flex his imaginary sheet of paper, straighten it up carefully, adjust the platen with the knob at the side, and then... To the laughter of the onlookers, he began typing with his forefingers, not forgetting to use the carriage lever, spacebar and uppercase keys, as the occasion demanded. He aped the movements of someone actually sitting in front of a typewriter and typing so accurately that no professional mime artist could have done it better. Undoubtedly, he had a great talent as an actor, and people impersonator. On another occasion, Trudel Jung was present when Hitler's propaganda minister, Joseph Goebbels, was with him and Dr Dietrich, the Reich press secretary. Trudel Jung said Dr Dietrich said that his best ideas came to him in the bath. Goebbels responded, Then you should bathe much more frequently. Herr Dr Dietrich, Sometimes in these sessions, Hitler would laugh till he cried. Hitler would continue to be able to laugh until almost the very end, only less frequently. So let's look at the jokes Hitler either cracked or that cracked him up. In June 1941, Hitler had the German Wehrmacht, the German armed forces, and the armed forces of Germany's allies invade Russia. Now, what I'm about to tell you is not a joke that Hitler ever told or heard, but it was a joke that circulated among some brave souls of the Soviet Union after the German invasion. It was a joke that would definitely get you killed if you told it, um, or if you just heard it, probably. The joke went, Stalin only ever trusted one man in his life, and that was Hitler. So the German armies plunged into Russia, winning the greatest military triumphs that had ever been accomplished. Things mostly looked very good for the next 17 months, with an important blip during the winter of 1941. And from mid-November... 1942, it was all basically downhill for the Germans. For the invasion of Russia, Hitler had a new headquarters set up for himself in East Prussia. From there, he would issue orders to his invasion forces. Now, Hitler's nickname was Wolf, Wolf, so his headquarters were called the Wolfchance, the Wolf's Lair. The wolf's lair seems to have been located in a bit of a swamp. Midges and mosquitoes made everyone's life a misery. On one occasion at the Chance, Hitler said to Albert Speer, they searched out for me the swampiest, most climatically unfavorable and midge-infested region possible. This raised difficulties in jurisdiction. Clearly, the only people competent to deal with the problem was the Luftwaffe. One night in 1941, Albert Speer, soon to be appointed as Hitler's armaments minister after the death of Dr. Todd, whose plane crashed under questionable circumstances when leaving the Wolf Chance, had had dinner with Hitler that was during the time of the pell-mell advances of the German forces into Russia. Millions of Russian prisoners were taken, and vast amounts of Russian equipment were destroyed or captured. So Hitler was very upbeat and cheery. After dinner, it was nighttime and dark outside, Hitler and his party left the safety of Hitler's dining room and went outside into the space where the Midges and not the Germans were dominant. Hitler, Speer and some others were talking when Speer realised that he didn't have his flashlight with him. He asked Hitler's manservant to return to Hitler's room to find his torch and get it for him. The manservant, after a shortish absence, returned empty-handed. Speer said out loud, where could it be? Hitler, in an impish mood, smiled and replied, I have not stolen it. I may be a thief of lands, but not of lamps. And it is better that way, for they hang you for the little item. But for the bigger one, they let you go. In 1943, on the occasion of Hitler's foreign minister Joachim von Ribbentrop's 50th birthday, Ribbentrop's staff, in the presence of Adolf Hitler and Albert Speer, presented Ribbentrop with a beautiful handmade casket filled with copies of all the treaties and agreements he had negotiated for Germany and that were still in force. Ribbentrop's ambassador to the Fuhrer's headquarters, Walter Hewell, said to Hitler, There are only a few treaties that we haven't broken in the meantime. Hitler said the eyes of Hitler filled with tears of laughter. Even at the end, the very end, Hitler still had a sense of humour, something I found completely remarkable. On 20 July 1944, a serious attempt was made to kill Hitler with a bomb planted in the military conference room at the Wolfchance. Because building work was going on, the meeting had been moved to a temporary building which was built out of flimsy timber and not solid brick and concrete like the usual room for these meetings. Hitler would have died in the usual room He survived here without too much injury, although many were killed. By November 1944, the war was going terribly. Well, at least if you were German. The Russians had retaken all of their territory and were now in Poland. The Americans and the English had broken out of Normandy and were in some places on the border of Germany. Hitler had a meeting with Albert Speer, At the Reich's Cancellery, Speer entered the room and Hitler invited him to sit down. Out of the window, you could see the devastation that was Berlin after months of around-the-clock bombing by the Americans and the British. Hitler swept his arm, identifying the thousands of destroyed buildings, and said to Speer, What does all that signify, Speer? In Berlin alone, you would have had to tear down 80,000 buildings to complete our new building plans. Unfortunately, the English haven't carried out the work exactly in accordance with your plans. But at least they have launched the project. By December 1944, Hitler had launched and failed in his last potentially significant attack, the battle in the Ardennes, called the Battle of the Bulge. When the failure of that operation became apparent to everyone, Hitler wanted to get back closer to the Eastern Front. By now, his old Eastern Front headquarters, the Wolfchance, was far too close to the Red Army was no longer able to be used. Hitler now instead had to conduct operations on the Eastern Front from his new bunker facilities in Berlin. If you ever saw the movie Downfall, you would know what those bunkers looked like and that was to be where Hitler would live his last months and die. On 15 January 1945, just four months out from the end of the war, Hitler left his headquarters in Western Europe and, as I said, returned to Berlin. Now, I can't believe anyone in Hitler's staff would have said this, but one of the officers said, in Hitler's presence, Berlin is now the perfect spot for our headquarters because soon we'll be able to travel between the Eastern Front and the Western Front by a suburban railway. Even Hitler laughed at this joke. Surprising, considering the fact that the fate of his thousand-year empire now seemed to be sealed after just 12 years. Thanks for joining me, Paul, in The Danger Zone. If you have any questions about anything in this program, maybe you could catch up with me for my guided ...tour at the Australian Armour and Artillery Museum... ...on Saturday morning starting at 10.30am... ...probably the world's best guided tour... ...of an armour and artillery museum... ...borrowing the Danish Kaldsberg slogan... ...for their beer. If you missed this program... ...you can catch up with it as a podcast... ...on Spotify, Apple and many other sites... ...search for The Danger Zone... Bracket, DZ, close bracket... ...and if you like this program... ...you'll definitely love my other program... ...CYKIAE also available on the same podcast sites.